Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest podcast of AAPC called The Pulse, where we talk about everything that has to do with coding, billing, practice management, anything that has to do with the business side of healthcare. My name is Lori Cox. I'll be your host today. And we have an interesting topic today on benchmarking. And I have with me my friend Tracy Bird. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited about this topic. Um, can you give everybody a little bit of background about you? Absolutely, Lori. Thank you so much for asking me to to share this topic. I do kind of love this topic. <laughs> Obviously, I talk about it a lot. Um, and my background, I became certified a certified coder way back before dirt was made, uh, back in the late 90s. And then I uh, got my CPMA, my CPCI came next. And then last, I got my CEMC. I am also a fellow with National MGMA. So I have my own um, practice management consulting business. I've had that for about seven years now. Prior to that, way back in my early days, uh, I managed practices. And then I worked for a professional liability insurance company here in Kansas, where I live. Mm -hmm. And... um, have done consulting with every specialty under the sun. So nice. That's kind of my background. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well-rounded. Um, I kind of follow your footsteps as well with the CPMA and the CPCI, and then they just kind of start building up after that. Don't they? They do. They do. <laughs> we, we just can't stop taking tips. <laughs> I didn't know. I just thought today what my 2024 test was going to be, and I'm bouncing in between two. So... <laughs> Good times, you know, we just like to subject ourselves to that. Um, okay, so let's let's start first of all. Um, you and I are familiar with benchmarking, but let's define that maybe for some people who are new to it, maybe new to practice management. So can you define that for them? Absolutely. You know, in really simple terms, I would say that it is just the exercise of measuring something against a similar thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, typically I think we think of benchmarking that has to be numbers driven and it does not. And I think that's where people get confused. But in my view, anything that a practice manager, a revenue cycle manager, with anyone, even uh, physicians, Anybody within the walls of a medical practice or a hospital can benchmark any metric that you deem to be important. So it can be operational. Uh, Maybe it's numbers of clicks on the computer. Maybe it's visits. Maybe it's uh, patients. Maybe it's who knows what. Uh, You know, and typically we think of um, you know, we want to benchmark our productivity or our revenue, and, and those things are great, but we forget about the other things that phone calls, for example. You know, how many phone calls do I get? Well, do I need more staff? I mean, that's the way to sort of to look at those metrics and gauge, you know, uh, b- business decisions against those metrics. So I think you're right. So some of the key benefits I think that I'm hearing you say, first of all, are being able to 
look at your practice P&Ls revenue-wise and, and staffing-wise and from all different aspects. Is that what I'm hearing from you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, maybe I just had a phone call this morning from a practice I have worked with previously. I did a revenue cycle analysis for them. Um, and we looked at really lots of different aspects. As you know, the revenue cycle doesn't just happen in the billing office. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> it happens everywhere. And uh, so we got some things implemented there. And, and But now they're beginning to really question, you know, our revenue is still down. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know, maybe we need to take a deeper dive. For example, um, I, I knew that they had a high Medicaid population. And I said, do you think on a daily basis, your appointment schedules are more full seeing Medicaid patients than your commercial patients? She said, oh, I definitely think so. And I said, okay, so let's let's do some some benchmarking around, you know, how or at least look at the numbers of encounters per day and who those the payer mix, the payer type per day. You know, maybe we need to be more granular about that. And then if we are seeing more Medicaid, which obviously isn't bringing a lot of revenue into the right, but it's taking up slots for other patients, maybe we figure out different ways to manage that patient population differently. So So, that makes a lot of sense. mm -hmm. And you're talking about, too, I think, In the long run, you're going to be improving patient outcomes because if you don't have patients sitting in the waiting room, which I'm assuming that's another way to benchmark, you know, how long are they waiting in the waiting room? How long before they get in a room? How long are they waiting in the room? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. That that certainly affects their outcome because patient (laughs) satisfaction scores go down if they wait very long. Uh, well, my patients goes down if I'm sitting in the room to wiggle my thumbs, right? I'm thinking, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they can benchmark those areas and determine, for example, maybe they know they have X number of patients that don't show up, right? Yes. And, and they then have that problem too. <laughs> yes, exactly. So they could take their appointment schedule and say, okay, we know. of our patients aren't showing up on a daily basis and then kind of rearrange their appointment schedules a little bit. Correct. Correct. And and I even said, maybe we could do a half a day of telemedicine visits and accommodate that population differently, Um, you know, with one of their, maybe their uh, APPs could, could do that. So we're thinking about some different things. And I, I think you know, what benchmarking really does is it forces you to really dig down fairly deeply and then assess and uh, analyze the information and then make business decisions based on that. I agree. So they can take that then, and like we said, even patient outcomes at quality of care, um, reducing costs. You know, maybe they have too much staff. Um, I don't think you're going to hear any practice (laughs) actually admit to having too much staff, (laughs) but it's there. You know, that's that's interesting. And and I just think sometimes and and here's what I've seen, because I have done consulting for more years than you've probably been alive, Laura. (laughs) I doubt that. But um, 
you know, what I do see is sometimes when we don't use our technology and our digital platforms the way we should, we still, we try to fit people and processes into our new technology world. And that does take more people. Mm -hmm. And so, how you know, I do look at staffing and I do look at the functions that everybody's doing. Of course, ours, we strive to have everybody working to the top of their license, scope, and ability and push down what we can. But, you know, we can push a lot off to our technology platforms and leave room for people to do more revenue generating or proactive kinds of tasks. I agree with that. I think that I think we're leading into conversations about AI as well. That's been the hot topic. I know we've done podcasts. (laughs) Oh, yes, a very hot topic. But I, I agree. And I think my whole aspect of that, and you can include benchmarking is if the AI was able to process all that data, okay, all the benchmarkings, all of that data, and then we, the humans, can take that data and make rational decisions from it. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I think AI is going to have a place in healthcare. Everybody's a little trepidatious about it right now. Um, I think doctors are thinking, well, why do they need me? Because somebody else, you know, machine is going to diagnose. No, (laughs) No, we are always going to need your brain. Absolutely. To to use that. Or coders are maybe afraid that they're going to lose their jobs because coding AI. No, we still have to verify. Mm -hmm. Um, But do we need as many people as we've had doing it before? Perhaps not. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a place for AI, but I I don't think any of us have to worry about our jobs. Right. I agree with you 100%. Um. So what uh, share I know you've already shared some successful examples of of some of the benchmarking initiatives in healthcare, but are there ones that um, specifically speak to cost reduction or operational efficiency? Like what are some cases of maybe extreme or not so extreme examples of smaller clinics, maybe even that have used benchmarking and improved their outcomes? You know, it's interesting. So when you, um, so I do, when I do my reports after I've done an assessment, for example, I will benchmark, for example, accounts receivable. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you actually put the information in writing, (laughs) it's pretty shocking. Mm -hmm. And um, I like to show, uh, well, obviously, a, a net collection percent, for example, uh, you know, should be based on the specialty, but between 95 to 97 percent. I agree. Our net collection percent. Mm-hmm. So a lot of practices don't understand how to calculate the net collection percent and that the net collection percent is just based on your contractual adjustments, not all that other stuff, not all those other write-offs. I'm working with a practice right now on the West Coast, and they are, uh, I believe that they have a misunderstanding about how to calculate. So their net collection percent is 89%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, that's not anywhere close to where it should be. Well, right. I didn't understand that. So as we talk through and look specifically at what's over 91 days old, Make sure that we are carving out only the contractual adjustments. 
what is getting what really is impactful is looking at how much of the balance is patient responsibility. Mm-hmm. And when you have I've had practices have over half of their accounts receivable, patient balance is over 91 days old. Mm. And it's that's so it's like, okay, we can fix that. And here's how you fix it. We put some efforts in place on the front end to do point of service collections. So, you know, credit card on file. Right. um, Making sure we check eligibility and verify benefits and collect. um, I even like if if a patient has a high deductible health plan, for example, and they've only $5,000, let's say. Right. And they've only met $200 of it. I'll say, uh, ask, we don't know what the charges are going to be today and right after the provider's seen you, but we can collect a deposit mm-hmm. for those services because we know everything is going to go to your deductible mm-hmm. um, of X dollars. And so you, you're at least attempting to collect upfront something. Mm-hmm. Now, or the credit card on file. And I've had patients say, well, I'm not leaving you my credit card. I don't want my credit <laughs> card on file anywhere. Right. <laughs> no problem. No problem. We require a hundred dollar cash deposit, and we'll just put that on your account and leave it for after. Oh well, let me tell you, they find their credit card pretty soon because <laughs> they don't want to part with their cash. Yeah, so, you know, you you begin to strategize about. So you look at the numbers. So how do we make different business decisions based on that? Okay, so I like I like this topic of conversation. So we're going to take a quick break here. Um, but when we come back, I think we need to talk about where practices can find all of this data and get some more information. So everyone will be right back. How are you safeguarding against errors that put your organization at risk? At AAPC Services, we leverage our deep expertise in over 80 medical specialties. We create tailored solutions that drive accuracy, profitability, and peace of mind for healthcare organizations of every size. And when it comes to the accuracy you depend on, we leave nothing to chance. Your project will undergo our multi-tier quality review process ensuring you meet your goals and we maintain our enterprise-wide 98% accuracy rate. Learn more at aapc.com business. Okay, welcome back to The Pulse. I'm sitting here with Tracy Bird and we have been discussing benchmarking and we've had some really interesting conversations about how practices can use benchmarking data to streamline their revenue cycle, streamline their practice, enhance patient outcomes. Now, I think we need to share some locations and MGMA is obviously the first one that comes to mind. AAPC has some data, but how can practices start looking? So let's say we were just talking about the um, AR, days in AR and things along those lines. Um, so let's say they figure out their days in AR or their net collection rate, but how do they know if that's right or wrong? So wh- what's your next step there? So, Lori, what I like to do, obviously, I do use a lot of MGMA's data, but I, for those practices that aren't connected to MGMA or don't don't have a resource for that, um, I often um, tell them to go to their physician specialty societies. A lot of time, they will have some benchmarking data related to 
some um, key performance indicators. And you can always use your own data year over year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have had that's that can be a barrier sometimes to practices even wanting to do benchmarking. And they'll say, well, my practice is way different than anybody else's. So what right. do I use? <laughs> well, no, you, you still need to do it. it you know, yes. it's, it's like when you get in a car to take a trip. If if you don't have a map or you don't you just get in the car and start the car, you, you have an end in mind. You just need to know how to get there. Yeah. So that's what benchmarking helps you do is identify how do I get to a goal from where I am today? So uh, I think that benchmarking against yourself year over year, month over month, as in the example that I gave with with the um, visits and maybe, you know, on a monthly basis, we're seeing more Medicaid instead of commercial or whatever. So and then you can explain the differences. Do have we added a provider? Have we lost a provider? Have we added a a, a different um, service or a procedure to our cadre of of a care? So those are the things that you can speak to and answer to. But you always can benchmark against yourselves. I agree with that. And I think one of the other barriers that we commonly see when we're going in to do audits or revenue cycle audits is um, they just don't have the people to do it. And I think that's quite common throughout the healthcare world. The, the qualified people to do to work the revenue cycle? Yes, or, uh, or yeah. to do the benchmarking yeah, yeah, or they don't yeah. know where to begin, right? Well, and, yeah, I, I think that that's that is true. And uh, it sounds daunting. It's kind of a big word. And it's like, <laughs> what does it mean? And but honestly, it is just um, it, it, we can simplify it. It is just looking at, as I said, I think any metric you want to measure can be measured, even down to the complaints we get from our providers about how many clicks it takes to get yes. to that screen. <laughs> so, so you know. I, I think it doesn't have to be as daunting as it sounds. It's just like, well, let's look at what it takes to do this and how can we do it better even. Just maybe not even sure how you're going to get to point B, right? but at least looking at point A and knowing we need to change. And then I think just almost organically, we begin to figure out the data and what we want to know that's going to help us get to point B. And in essence, that's using uh, benchmarking. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Now, we talked a little bit about AI. Um, now, are you seeing AI playing a role in adapting to the to benchmarking? Or are people using AI to benchmark? Have you seen that yet? You know, I have not seen AI used to benchmark. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of practices that are using coding software, which is essentially AI, right, to help choose the levels of service. That's about the all that I am seeing at this point. Mm -hmm. And even those systems need to be trained, right? <laughs> because how do you know that they're right? It's the old adage of garbage in, garbage out, right? Um, exactly. So and. There, and as we know, there's a lot of garbage out there on the internet. So if AI is right. pulling information from just random places out there, it, is, it leaves some right. concern. 
I agree. I think people are really going to have to adapt to, again, taking that benchmarking data and teaching AI how to use it. Now, I do think our payers are probably further ahead than we are. Oh, great. <laughs> Sadly. Um, well, well, you think about it. In the in the um, Medicare Advantage world, and they were using oh, yes. this predictive analytics mm-hmm. to look at their risk panel of patients to and and they're able to tell with reasonable assurance who's going to cost us more money mm-hmm. next year mm-hmm. because of these particular diagnosis codes that they have so you know i think that uh, on the on the other side <laughs> of things uh-huh. um they're probably using a little more ai technology to help them determine those predictive analytics right and, and we will get there I agree. And I think it's going to be beneficial in the long run, too, for people, for everyone in healthcare, maybe not just advantage plans, but for someone like me with commercial insurance, you know, maybe my premiums will go down because they'll realize, hopefully I stay healthy and my kids stay healthy, you know, Uh, maybe that's in the long run. But again, they're going to use benchmarking as well to, I mean, they already are kind of like, what is my population? And in the area that I'm in, what are our geographical issues? You know, and we think about social determinants of health. I think that is playing a big role in being used as benchmarking as well, right? Because what population is homeless? Um, Absolutely. And, and we define homeless you know, I think we we think of homeless as living in the under the bridge. Yes, but but it's not, not true. I mean, no, it's they're, not. They're, you know, so we really have to expand our definitions some for things like that. But absolutely, those social determinants of health are big. Mm-hmm. Now, are there any emerging trends or innovative approaches in healthcare benchmarking? You know. I think we're always on the lookout to see what's on the landscape. Um, I think the more that we can employ our own technology that we have at our fingertips with our EMRs and our practice management systems, and you know the, <clears throat> the statistics tell us we we don't use nearly half of what they are capable of of giving us. That's true. And and I think if we were to use them uh, more productively we could yield, they would yield a lot more information that we could use for making business decisions. I agree with you on that, on the EMRs, on all of the software out there. And um, I was thinking, as you were saying, that, like even our brains, what is it? We only use so much percentage of our actual brain, right? (laughs) So I was thinking about when you said that. And um, I agree. I think that there are so many things out there. And again, with AI coming, we don't know what we don't know. And there's things that are going to be coming that will be like, wow, we didn't even realize that this was a thing. And I think benchmarking ourselves against those statistics then are going to lead to, again, what we said earlier, better patient outcomes, um, better patient care. Because at the end of the day, even us in our little world of healthcare finance, we're still here to help patients. Exactly. You know that the it, when I do these presentations, I I lay it out. Um, you know, we can benchmark operational items like our phone calls and our numbers of visits and 
those kinds of things. Or finance, which is the revenue cycle, or it can even be the the um, you, you know the expense side of things. There's a lot of great data from MGMA about overhead expense and what percent of your net medical revenue should be going to X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of gives you a balance of okay, well, let's look at both sides of the of the revenue stream. What's the income and the outgo, right? But but quality measures also. You know, how exactly. is my quality? How are my patients improving? Um, if 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 we're following diabetics, for example, mm-hmm. um, you know, I encourage providers run a report, see who your diabetic patients are. Then let's dig down a little more deeply of of that cohort of patients. Which ones are well controlled on the the regimen they're on? Well, which ones need a little more handholding? Would those patients benefit from being in a chronic care management program? Mm-hmm. So it's just managing the the outcomes differently. And how many of those patients that are not controlled, their A1Cs are not controlled, right. can we over the next year get to the left side of the control? Exactly. Uh, you know, so that would be the goal. So Absolutely. analytics can help us with that. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. Um, so I think one of the key takeaways uh, for me coming away from this is if I were a practice manager, I'd want to start running some reports. First of all, I think that's the starting point, right? Um, hopefully they're doing that anyway. And I believe most practice managers these days are more familiar with Excel than they probably want to be right. <laughs> other spreadsheets. Um, but start there and start looking at some holes and your data and just start comparing it, start taking a deep dive into it. And from there, you know, it's hopefully not a Pandora's box of problems are going to open up, but you're going to see some deficiencies, right? Yeah, there's going to be some gaps there. And I think then the, the, you know, as a team, everybody, you present the gaps and then as a team, uh, effort, everybody. So what what's my role in helping fill that gap? Yeah, very important, because like I said earlier, even us, we don't tend to think that we directly help patient outcomes, but but we do. And so everybody plays a role in every little piece. And it's important for people to know that. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I it, we don't give enough credit to the, you know, our folks at the front desk or the yes, ones that are managing our medical records or the ones that are, you know, the the clinical team just puts their head down and is, is you know, dealing with patients all day long. What, what yep. they fail to realize is there are a lot of other folks surrounding them that are also playing an integral role in that patient care. So I it, agree. It would be a team effort. Absolutely. This has been a very interesting conversation. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on this podcast with me. Absolutely, Lori. It's been my pleasure. Great. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to our latest episode of The Pulse. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you again next time. Podcasts are great. Hands-on expert help is much better. Let AAPC services tackle your revenue cycle challenges for more accurate, efficient, and profitable reimbursement. Visit aapc.com backslash business to learn more.